Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. My job, my role as I prepare these Meals for Maturity Bible talks is to bring you more of God's Word. As a preacher, I create a sermon, but I don't create the message. The message, you see, is already given to us from the pages of Holy Scripture. My task as a preacher is to deliver this word from God to you and so let the Holy Spirit do his good work on our hearts. So the sermon is not the preacher's word, but it's to be God's word. And the only way to really check whether I or another preacher is doing their God-given task is to really match the Bible talk, the sermon, up to the Bible itself. My main task as a pastor in my local church is to feed the flock of God from the Word of God. And it's my great joy and absolute privilege, privilege to also do this feeding from the Word of God via this Meals for Maturity podcast to God's people I might not see in person. So thank you for listening. We've been journeying through Joel, you know, that smaller little guy prophet who packs a major punch often neglected, often a hard book to find in your Bibles, unless, of course, you squish a locust in the Bible, then it's a lot easier to find, I suppose. Joel is writing his three-chapter prophecy in order to wake up or to rouse God's people, Israel, from spiritual complacency, from, from lethargy. We don't know the exact date or the setting for this short Old Testament book, but that's to our advantage, as I've been mentioning in some ways, because it can be a timeless application for us. It's not tied specifically to certain events or places for us to be able to apply it. But as we've seen and heard, there is a specific event that has occurred that Joel uses or he bounces off from to call God's people to return, to repent, to come back to God's covenantal love for them. Let me recap where we've been so far in this short series of Bible Talks by picking up on three phrases that are attached to some verses across chapters 1 and 2. So a little bit of a recap. The first phrase I want you to think of is loads of locusts. Loads of locusts. Chapter 1, verse 3. Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. So God sends this massive, cataclysmic, mega gigantic, add your favourite big adjective, plague of locusts upon the land, upon the people of God. And it's clearly linked to judgment because of their sinfulness, though we're not exactly told what that sin uh, is that they've done to deserve this form of judgment. So that's the first phrase, loads of locusts. The second phrase, to recap, is return to me. Return to me. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. This day of judgment might come in the form of locusts, but there is a day of grace, an amnesty period, a grand offer of forgiveness. But it comes with a condition. See, Joel's people must return to God. Repentance from the heart needs to be displayed. Just like in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it comes, this gospel message comes with a condition. Yes, Jesus dies for everyone. Remember, God so loved the world, so loved the whole world. But it is a gift that needs to be received personally by faith and repentance. So God says via Joel, his prophet, his mouthpiece, return to me 
with all your heart. The third phrase uh, to be aware of in just to summarise this book is the day of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. See, this plague reminds Joel of another judgment to come one day in the future, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, of course, it's linked to the return of Jesus. So the locust plague foreshadows or it previews another great event in the future, the culmination of history where God will bring about a final judgment for all of humanity, the day of the Lord, the the return of Christ. And this plague of locusts acts like a signpost, if you like, for the future. So there's three phrases, loads of locusts, return to me, and the day of the Lord. Now we finished last time with this prayer in chapter 2, verse 17. Spare your people, O Lord. Don't let your heritage be a reproach or be an object of mockery among the nations where they say, where is their God? And then the very next verse, chapter 2, verse 18, becomes a turning point in this short prophecy of Joel. Chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Well, let's hear Nerida read this last section in chapter 2 for us. Joel, chapter 2, verses 18 to 32. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, and fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem 
there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those to whom the Lord calls. I've titled this series of Bible Talks, Return and Restoration, and that'll become obvious from this point on. Chapter 2, verse 17, God's people pray. Chapter 2, verse 18, God answers their prayer. Now, we're meant to understand that Joel's people here have repented. They've done what's required in chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And now the promises of God come to fruition. Remember, before Joel chapter 2, verse 18, he's writing about the past and the present. Well, now he writes about the future and what God will do. So we hear the words, I will do this. I, I, I will. You shall. And God brings about this promise of restoration to his people. Joel chapter 2, in lots of ways, is all about the R's. Now, I can't really roll my R's. Maybe you can. But it's about the R's. Rend, return, repent, and then God will restore. Now, we all know what it's like to restore things, don't we? You might like to restore old cars or old furniture or old computers. If you're old enough to remember, some of us bought a desktop computer and it came with this restoration disk. So if your software program got butchered, all you needed to do was to pop in this restore disk and then things just sort of magically returned to normal. Uh, good luck finding where to put this restore disk today into your computer. I'm waiting for Manchester United to be restored to its former glory under Sir Alex Ferguson, but I might be waiting a while perhaps. With a bit of help from a few magic products, we're told we can restore old carpets or old picture frames or old shoes. Some of us would like some hair restored. A couple of years ago, we got our bathrooms restored, which of course meant almost selling a body part to pay for this restoration work. Some of you know there's great satisfaction in restoring something back or close to its original. Maybe some of you are thinking now, oh, I really should do some restoration work. Well, the rest of the book of Joel is really about God doing some serious restoration work. So chapter 2, verses 18 to 32, we see or read about two great restoration acts. Restoration Act number one comes in verses 18 to 27, and I've called that a material restoration. That is, it's a restoration coming upon the land, upon the animals, upon the people. Remember from chapter one, the land lay desolate, dry, destroyed, devastated, every other D word you can think of. The locusts have left this land like a war zone. There's no crops, there's no food, there's no sacrifices, no future. The reference there in verse 20 to the northerner, I don't think it's talking about Queenslanders, for those in Australia. Uh, I think it could refer to Assyria or Babylon. It could be the locusts coming in with the northerly wind across the Syrian desert. And the great things that the locusts have done at the end of verse 20 is actually matched and bettered by, verse 21, the great things that the Lord will do. For he will restore the land, the four staples of their life, then restored grain, wine, oil, figs. I would have mentioned ice cream, of course. Verse 25 is this great promise of restoration for the years that the locusts had brought. Like the land, the situation for the animals and the trees is actually reversed as well. This is a, a wonderful restoration brought about by God himself. 
Notice the words used to describe this restored land. Verse 19, you will be satisfied. So enough to meet your need, not your greed. Verse 22, the fig and vine will give their full yield. Verse 23, again, abundant rain will fall. Verse 24, full grain. Verse 24, again, your vats shall overflow with wine and olive oil. Verse 26, you shall have plenty and be satisfied. Here's a God of abundance, a God who loves to give, the God of lavish grace. He never does things in half measures here in this restoration. The generous, ready-to-pour-down God of blessings upon his repentant people. And this generous, lavish, giving, abundant, providing, grace-overflowing God of the old covenant is the same God we meet in the new covenant, of course displayed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Recall Ephesians chapter 1. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Well, remember Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, or life, have it abundantly. See, God in Joel and God in Jesus is a God of abundance. This first restoration section in Joel ends with this grand promise in verse 27. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else, no one else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Remember the taunt that comes upon God's people back in chapter 2, verse 17. The nations would say, where is their God? Well, now the answer comes back that this will not happen because God will be in their midst once more. Never again will my people be put to shame. Three times God tells them that. Verse 19, verse 26, verse 27. Never again, never again, never again. Upon their repentance and returning, God promises to restore their covenant relationship as if the locust plague had never flown in. No wonder this section in Joel is full of praise. Verse 21, Fear not, O Lord, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Verse 23, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. So restoration act number one, this material restoration, the land, the animals, God's people are restored. And then it's further expanded on in verses 28 to 32 with this second great restoration act. And this time it will be a spiritual restoration. Again, following the people's repentance, we learn that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, as you read through the Old Testament story, you find that God pours his spirit out upon certain individuals for certain God-given tasks from time to time. So think about the Old Testament story. The spirit of God comes upon Moses and the 70 elders back in the book of Numbers. The Holy Spirit empowers kings like Saul and, and David. He comes upon the prophets like Elijah and Haggai and Isaiah. The Holy Spirit falls upon judges like Gideon and Samson. But there seems to be this restriction, so much so that the, the Moses pleads with God in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, where he says, wouldn't it be great if all of God's people were prophets and his spirit was poured out on all of God's people? Well, here in Joel chapter 2, 
we actually see the beginnings of the answer to Moses' prayer. For God is restoring his people by putting his spirit upon all flesh. The picture here is of no exclusion to receiving God's spirit. Remember Genesis chapter 12, blessings to all nations through Abraham. No distinction here because of gender or age or social status. You don't have to be related to a prophet. You don't have to go to prophet school. You don't have to have a name that ends in Iah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Isaiah. No, no. This, this promise reminds me of Galatians 3 verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you know your Bibles, you'd know when this prophecy of Joel is actually fulfilled. Remember Acts chapter 2? The Apostle Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and he quotes this passage to a, to a crowd gathered from all regions. And the Holy Spirit falls upon all who confess their sins and trust in the name of the risen Jesus. And Joel chapter 2 verse 32 is then quoted by Peter and later on in the New Testament it's quoted by Paul that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this great restoration act by God on the day of Pentecost is what Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32 is ultimately pointing to. It's very similar to what the other prophets, the big guns of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when they speak about the establishment of the new covenant or this new era, the dawning of a new day. On this future day of restoration, God promises to pour out his spirit upon all men and women so that all will have the knowledge of God. All will be able to enjoy God's Holy Spirit. So once again, the New Testament shows us how the gospel changes so many things for the believer in Christ. So restoration act number two, following the people's repentance, a spiritual restoration will happen and the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all. Well, the so what of this Bible talk from Joel comes about when we think about our restoration. See, like the people of God in Joel's day, God has promised restoration for us. It starts, of course, with our repentance, our turning to the Lord Jesus, calling upon the name of the Lord. And then the promise of the Bible is the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all peoples, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And then God's gracious restoring work happens in you and me. We sometimes call that restoration work, sanctification, the ongoing, uh, growing us to be more and more like Jesus. This section in Joel is like a mini picture of the gospel of all grace. Joel chapter 2 is a picture of grace and mercy centered around God's hesed love. Remember, for he is, he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So much of this chapter reminds me of the Christian life and the restoration that's on offer to all who repent and turn in faith to Jesus, to any who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. By throwing ourselves upon the mercy of Christ at the cross and the empty tomb, our damaged hearts are restored, for the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And we do not live in shame or fear. Remember the promise, no condemnation for those found in Christ. And we too, in the gospel, will hear the words, never again, Never again, never again, for I will remember your sins 
no more, never again. The gospel offers you and me this restored life which we are meant to live. And the great Joel-like promise of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 is actually ours to cling to. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Now there's one qualifier to all this, I think, in Joel chapter 2, and that is God restores the land and the livestock to almost Eden-like traits. But sometimes for us, our previous sins, that is, before we have turned to Christ, the sinfulness of our previous life, our BC life, if you like, that may result in great damage that doesn't get fully restored this side of eternity. We are still new creations, without a doubt. We are still, we are new creations in Jesus. But sometimes we have to hobble along or we limp along or we carry scars with us because of the foolishness and sinful actions in the past. But friends, true satisfaction is now found in Jesus and the abundant life of blessings and the ongoing restoration is ours to cling to until the final welcome home. And then we'll see Jesus face to face. And then our restoration will be complete. And one more blessing is ours as the restored people of God in the gospel. That is, in the future, we need never fear the day of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, let's be like Joel's people and rejoice in the restoration given to us by grace in the gospel and for the promise that God dwells with his people forever. And we'll see more of this in chapter 3 next time. Until then, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.